it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight we have episode 233. We are going to answer three great listener questions we got recently. And so without any further ado, I will go ahead and read our first question. And then Andrew and I will do our little usual give and take for you. So we have, hey, guys, I will be taking on some extra summertime work, and I'm wondering what the best place to put that is. I've already got about three times monthly expenses and savings. I'm putting money automatically in my 401k. I have a credit card, a car loan, and student loans. I opened my first brokerage account and invested in my first index fund. Should I try to get to the max Roth IRA amount for the year to invest or work in paying off loans? I already have planned to take part of each of my regular daytime paycheck and put it into the Roth. I'm just not sure what to do with some of the extra income for a couple months. Thank you. I appreciate all your help and advice for your podcast and postings. Madison. So, Andrew, what are your thoughts on Madison's great question? Well, first off, congrats. Sounds like you're killing it. These are yeah. great problems to have, and it sounds like you're working hard and really working to improve yourself. So that's fantastic. Yeah. You know, a lot of people have different opinions on what to do with how you prioritize extra money. And at a certain point, I almost wonder if it's too counterproductive to try to get too cute with some of that stuff. You know, for a summer job, if it was me and I was back to my young, rebellious self, I would definitely want to enjoy some of that, you know, but obviously you have some that you want to put away and, and do responsibly with too. I know people will say, well, you got to pay off all your debt. And I get that. And there is value in working towards paying off debt. But if it's really, I don't see somebody paying off a student loan from a summer job uh, unless you got like the best student loan deal we've ever seen. So, you know, I'm always a big proponent of have that 
investing habit in place, meaning are you paying yourself first? So whatever that dollar amount means to you, are you committing to doing that every month? One I recommend for people who have started their careers and are kind of working their everyday life is to start at $150 a month and just use that as a vesting habit so that you're in the market and you have that habit in place, which you can keep for a long period of time. It's really the consistency and it's really about your behavior more so than it is about the numbers, in my opinion. And and just based on my own experience and the way I kind of live my life pretty emotionally too sometimes, especially when I was younger. So I would do what is best for your behavior, whatever that will be. And I think that's more important than the numbers, especially because we're talking about something that's three months in length and not like your next five-year plan kind of a thing. Yeah, that's great advice. And I would agree that having a plan and following that plan is a great idea. And Andrew's idea about setting behaviors, especially if you're on the younger side and can start to set those for a long period of time, it's a great foundation to build from. That's fantastic advice. And that's something that I wish my younger self had heard for sure, because it would have put myself in a better position is these are some things that I learned later on in life. So I would definitely heed what the, some of the things that Andrew was saying. If you want to look at the numbers part of it, something that has always kind of stuck in my head was when I was working in the bank world, I had a mortgage banker talked to me one time because he had heard a customer talking to me about kind of the same kind of idea. Like I have money. I don't know whether I should invest it or if I should pay off some debt. And something that he recommended to me after hearing this conversation was something that he was taught by a private banker was that look at what kind of return you can get versus the interest that you're paying on your debt. So for mortgages generally tend to be lower interest rates. So it's a little bit easier to make a decision in that circumstance because you can earn without a lot of effort, you can earn decent returns in a market buying indexes and ETFs, you know, on a consistent basis. But the flip side of that is that if you're trying to pay off a credit card at 20%, then trying to beat to that hurdle in the market is, is a lot bigger of a challenge. You know, the professionals struggle to do that. And so somebody that would just be starting out, it would be a challenge. And so his advice would be to, if you had extra money and you wanted to put a good use in a short term, would be to maybe look at it paying down your credit card debt because that would be ideally in theory, would be at the higher interest rate of the three that you're talking about. If you're talking about a mortgage, then you're looking at, depending on what your rate is, to 4%, you could make more money by putting that extra money in the market because you can earn a greater return that would offset paying off the student or the mortgage faster, for example. So those are just, I guess, some generalities of some ideas that some people have suggested to me. And that's something that I kind of like to keep in mind as well. And if you are looking at paying down debt, just as a general rule, I think it's better to look at the ones that have higher interest rates. So let's say you have two credit cards and one has 20%, the other one's 15%, pay off the 20% faster than the 15% because that's going to save you more money in the long run. But it sounds like Madison has a good plan and is got a great 
head on their shoulders and has really started moving in the right direction. And I would definitely suggest listening to what Andrew said. And I think, you know, if you're younger, have some fun. I mean, life is short and you should have some fun. And, you know, if you got a little extra money, take a trip or go someplace or do something fun with, you know, friends or significant other or family and enjoy yourself because sometimes focusing only on the money can lead you to not enjoying yourself. And we're all here to enjoy ourselves as much as we can anyway. Yep. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Move on to the next question then. I've got nothing else really to add. So this one is from Nate. He says, I'm wondering what you guys think about defense sector investing, both with long hold and what's going on currently. I'm a subscriber to the Sather Research eLeather, which has previously bought some of that, and I'm holding some others like Lockheed and Raytheon. We saw basically everything in that sector jump in price the day after the latest hostilities started. Is that a good sell, or are these companies just more valuable? Is there anything special we as investors need to consider when looking at a defense company? Thanks, Nate. Well, that's a very interesting question. And the defense sector is something that I've briefly looked at. I know Andrew has much 
better insights in the defense sector than I do. But I think overall, I would say that the defense sector is, it's a strong industry. It tends to be undervalued as a general rule. And it's something that it's not going away. And I do remember that the contracts that these companies were generating were pretty big and pretty substantial and were going to only continue to increase. And as even though the country politically may be encouraging us to downsize, some of what's going on is maybe not having as many soldiers or foot soldiers, but technology is improving. And that's something that we're definitely seeing what's going on in the unfortunate situation in Ukraine is that the ability for the foot soldier to inflict a lot more damage based on the technology that they're using is far greater than it was 5, 10, 15 years ago. And so it looks like it tends to even out things on the battlefield. So all that to say, the money that's going to be spent on defense, is, I think, is only going to increase. And the other thing that sometimes doesn't, at least something that I noticed, was that a lot of these defense contractors are also involved in the space industry. And so satellites, for example, as we increase more of the technology, we're going to need more satellites and better satellites. And that's going to just continue to evolve. And then there's the whole issue of the air quote space race between, you know, SpaceX and Blue Origin and, you know, all the other players. These companies are directly involved in a lot of that stuff as well, trying to go to the moon, trying to go to Mars and some of the other projects that they're working on. So there's definitely a lot of moving parts and a lot of things going on in the defense industry, kind of beyond just the airplanes and the battleships, for example. So I would be more curious to hear what Andrew's thoughts on the defense industry are. Sounds like you read my e-leather issue about the space race. <laughs> I sure really did. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we bought Northrop Grumman back in February 2021, and I'm still holding. And the reason why I'm still holding is because I believe it's still undervalued, potentially, or potentially fairly valued. And one of the things I would highly recommend if you're kind of skeptical on investments in defense is if you look at the long-term government spending trends on defense – you'll see it's cyclical, which is very similar to a lot of other things we see in the economy. Things cycle up and down. And so defense spending is the same way. And so what's interesting is historically over decades, it's been around 4% a year growth for defense spending. The last 10 years, it's been less than 1% a year in growth. So you have to ask yourself, is the human race just that much better and more peaceful and more socially and behaviorally advanced that we don't need defense spending anymore? Or is this one of those down cycles that could cycle back up? So, you know, obviously you can't just always simplify it to say if an industry is growing, then the stocks in that industry are good investments. But these are very well-run companies, particularly the one that we own. They buy back a lot of stock. They're not trying to go aggressive, crazy, and, and try to take over the world or anything like that. So they're providing good returns for investors. And until that changes, I don't see it as a sell because there's reason to believe that the growth could be even greater than it has been. And even where it had been, like if that defense spending had stayed the same, it was still a great value at that time. So that's why you, you try to look for these kind of margin of safety companies where based on where they're at, you know, it's a good value to buy the stock, but 
things could improve and it could become an even greater value. And you really want to hold through those periods to be able to let those things play out because a lot of these things are, are really long term. And so that was something I learned early on. It's like, you can be right, but you could be so wrong if you sell too soon because yeah, you may have made 50% on the stock, but Wall Street doesn't know how much you made. And it really hurts to be right on an idea and wrong when you thought 50% was a great return when you could have earned 200% or more. That hurts. Yeah, that would hurt for sure. So I guess a couple questions I kind of have about defense industry just as a kind of a general rule. The kind of the way that they generate revenue is from these contracts that they're given. And those come from the appropriations from Congress, correct? What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Yeah. Department of Defense. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're generally kind of longer term contracts, if I'm correct. So you can look at one, I guess it would be an accounting term, but it's something in, in the company's financials is called backlog. And so, not a lot of businesses necessarily deal with backlog, but for something that does contracts like defense, they do have backlog. So you can look and you can kind of see how much revenue a defense company is going to make in the next several years based on what their backlog is. Because even if they have a contract, they don't get to record those revenues until they actually perform the services, right? So right. yeah, the backlogs right now are huge and, and they're growing and there's plenty of work to be done. Right. So, so it is a very defensive kind of defensive in the sense of like, you kind of know what's going to happen because it it almost gets projected in the backlogs. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. So the thing that I took away from looking at the companies was they aren't going to be the fastest growers in the world by any stretch of the imagination, but you also have a predictability of the revenues over a longer period of time because of that backlog. And that's one of the things that makes them, I guess, a safer play, if you will. And it made me feel like if I was going to invest in these companies that, that these would be stable companies as far as performance of the business. You know, the stock price is a stock price and that's going to do what it's going to do. But the performance of the company, you know, eventually in a, like it, the long run, it's going to impact the return you make. I think another thing to point out is they are very strong capital returners in the fact that they pay strong dividends and they pay, they do a lot of buybacks as well. Correct? Yes. Yep. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was kind of interesting too, was that Even though one of the companies, they all kind of, they're competing, but they also are working side by side. So I think it was the F-35 that they have some one company like Raytheon makes a part for the plane and Lockheed makes a part for the plane and Northrop Grumman makes a part for the plane. So it's not just one company that's making these, a lot of these weapons. Is that correct? Yeah. So yeah, for the F-35, Lockheed's plane and Northrop's collaborating with them on that right. in, a, in a big way. And that's kind of something that's interesting too about these companies is that the government needs a healthy marketplace to be able to have fair bids on these contracts, right? So mm-hmm. it's highly, highly, highly unlikely that one company is going to come in and swallow all the rest, right? That that's, right. I don't see how that's ever going to fly. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so you don't have to be number one per se, you just have to be strong and 
kind of staying in your lane, kind of that idea that I've talked about s- several times over the past several months. So yeah, it is very interesting because they don't have to worry about Amazon coming in and, and like going cutthroat on their business because there's not going to be a defense company that can stay number one forever. Right, like it's right. just not in anybody's best interests. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So there is one industry that it appears that Amazon's not going to try to disrupt. (laughs) Exactly. There you go. One. (laughs) One. (laughs) Never say never, though, right? Uh, Yeah, true. Yeah, very true. (laughs) Yeah, never say never. Well, I mean, Jeff Bezos did leave the company so he could do Blue Origin. So I guess he could say he, he did. He decided he didn't want to take that on as Amazon anyway. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we move on to the, the last question here? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hi, thanks for the very helpful info on the site. I am struggling with how to assign a premium for a company growing at a faster rate than another, but having the same margins and for argument's sake, similar risk characteristics. So take Carvana, CVNA, whose price to sales is 0.46 with a growth of 55% versus a firm, AFRM, whose price to sales is 5.4 with a growth of 60%. How would you assess the two from a pricing vantage point? And this is from Anil. This is an interesting question. Would you like to chat a little bit about numbers or would you like me to talk about a firm in particular? first. Well, I would love to grab some popcorn and hear you talk about the firm because I know you feel very strongly on them. Real quick, though, before we dive into that, I'll just quickly talk about price to sales. So that's just looking at the price of the stock compared to how much sales it generates per share. So if I'm just going to make these numbers up, if a firm is like a $3 billion company and they make $1 billion in sales, that would be a price to sales of three. Because the market's pricing them at three billion, they generate one billion in sales. That's what price of sales does. So you can do apples to apples comparisons between different companies, regardless of how big or small they are, by using price to sales. So in the case of this question, Carvana at 0.46 price to sales and the firm at 5.4 price to sales implies that the market is valuing a firm much, much higher based on its sales than they are valuing Carvana. Now, how do you feel about... (laughs) There's so many ways you could probably go with this, but how do you feel about this question? 
All right. So it's a really interesting question. And for those of you unfamiliar with price to sales, it's an easy metric to calculate. And Andrew gave a great overview of kind of how to calculate it. It tends to be used a lot with companies that are unprofitable. And when we're talking about unprofitable, it means that the company is not generating earnings either on an operating basis or a net income basis. So when you think about the income statement, as you work down the income statement, the top line or the revenue are the sales. And that's what everybody knows. But as you start getting into the costs and the expenses and the taxes and all the different things that a company has to undertake to generate those sales, then that all starts to detract from the sales. And new companies, which both of these companies are very new to the market, in general are newer companies, newer companies tend to not make money kind of coming out of the gate. Not always the case, but just as a general rule. And so a lot of people will use a metric like price to sales to help them value a company, or as Andrew was pointing out, use relative numbers to look at which one is more expensive than the other, according to what the market thinks. So a firm is, for those of you, I'm going to speak more on a firm. I'm not as familiar with Carvana, so I can't speak to that specifically. A firm is a company that offers a product called Buy Now, Pay Later, which is a newer, updated version of Layaway. So older folk like myself know what Layaway is. That's something that they used to have in the 70s and 80s. And basically what it is, it used to be that you could take a product, whatever it was, you know, a game or something like that, and they would set it aside for you and then you would make monthly payments on it. And then when you paid it off, you took the product. Now you can actually take the product home. You can buy whatever it is you want. And just about everything now is eligible for a buy now, pay later with companies like Affirm, Afterpay, and Klarna in particular. You can literally buy almost everything, including a hamburger, this buy now, pay later idea. And so basically the way that they're set up and each company is different, they offer the ability to split up the payments into three to five different payments, for example, and you wouldn't pay any interest like if you used it for your credit card. So that's the allure and the idea of the companies. So Affirm is a newer company and they are one of the leaders in this buy now, pay later space. And this has really gained a lot of traction in the last few years. And the way that a firm works is you can go to online or you can go into a store and as one of your payment options, you can choose a company like a firm to buy your product. It tends to work better for larger purchases. It gained its first claim to fame with Peloton. So it was one of the ways that Peloton allowed people to buy the bikes, two to $5,000 bikes using a firm. And it got a firm, a foothold into the retail space and it allowed you know, Peloton to generate a lot of revenue quickly because the way it works is that a firm basically guarantees the payment. So if you buy a $3,000 bike with a firm through Peloton, Peloton gets the $3,000 from a firm and then you pay a firm back. So now your Peloton is completely cut out of the equation and Peloton's happy because they've gotten the money for the bike. And so it works great for the retailer. A firm makes money 
from the take rate, which is the percentage that they charge a company like Peloton for the ability to get their money up front. And then a firm deals with collecting it from us. So the market, I guess about two years ago, these buy now pay later companies in particular, our firm was one of the hottest companies out there. Twitter was all abuzz about a firm in particular. That was the hot stock for a while. And everybody was all a flutter or all a Twitter, no pun intended, about a firm. And it ran up in price huge. Now, both of these companies, Carvana and a firm do have very, very nice revenue growth. Like they are growing fast. There's no question about it. You can't argue about that. But what is now happening in the markets with both of these companies, in particular with the firm, is they're getting hammered because they're starting to see a lot of things about both companies that are unprofitable and it appears they may not ever get to profitability. So as much as I've bashed Tesla in the past, the company is now profitable. It's making money. And that's the whole goal of every business is to make money because eventually the money is going to run out. In other words, the money you can borrow from other people, whether it's a bank or private investors, it's going to run out. And if you can't produce enough money to pay your bills, you go out of business. It's pretty simple business economics. And so what's happening in the market now is that Carvana in particular has lost 91% from its high. It was trading at $370 back in August of 2021. It's now trading around 23 bucks. And so it's fallen off a cliff. I would admit I don't know much about the company at all other than the fact that it's really the uh, market sentiment against the company is very negative. A firm is become more negative for sure over the last six months. So one of the issues with a firm in particular is it it enables people to buy stuff they can't afford. And my biggest issue with it is the credit checks. So the buy now, pay later companies are not regulated like credit card companies and banks in particular. And so those two entities have a lot of government regulations that oversee making sure they do not operate on a predatory level. In other words, allowing people to buy more than they can afford and then they can't, they get in a lot of trouble and it, it causes everybody a lot of pain. A firm, Afterpay, Klarna, a lot of these PayPal, Apple now, these companies are not regulated like American Express is, for example, or even Capital One. And so they don't have the same regulatory requirements to offer credit checks for people. So one of the hindrances to credit cards is you have to have a decent credit score to get the credit. It's not free money. You got to pay it back and there's interest and, and all this. And the buy now pay later companies are offering in essence what they, what people think is free. And so my concern from the get go after working at the banking industry for a while and seeing how poorly people are managing credit. And these are people that have decent enough credit that they can get a credit card. A lot of the people that are qualifying for these buy now pay to loan are people that don't have either don't have credit scores or don't have good credit scores. And because these companies basically allow anybody to buy something that they can't afford, it puts more pressure on these people to try to pay these things back. And the allure is you're not going to get charged anything. You're not going to get charged interest like you will with a credit card. And I get that. But the problem is, is that now these companies are accelerating their sales. And especially during Christmas time, 
everything came with the opportunity to buy this buy now, pay later stuff. And what's happening now is people are starting to default and they're starting to miss payments and they're starting to get behind and it's causing a lot of hardship and a lot of pain on people. And you could argue that it's not ethical. And that is where I started to have a big problem with these companies because I don't think it's ethical. And just because it makes it easy to give people credit doesn't mean that it's right. Now, there's some people that can manage this and there's some people that have gotten in trouble credit-wise in the past for making poor decisions and now they're in a better place and they're trying to build themselves out. Great. You know, fine. But the majority of these people are not in that position. And in particular, young people that don't know how to manage their money or manage the payments, they start getting in trouble. And I was reading something online yesterday, uh, about a week ago uh, from the San Francisco Chronicle. And it was highlighting a person that had bought five different things from five different buy now pay laters that they couldn't afford. And there's no regulation. So in other words, when you buy something on your credit card, you get a statement, you know how much it is, you know how much money you've borrowed. With these buy now pay laters, because they're not connected, you can lose track of what you bought and where. And that's what happened to this person is that, you know, this young woman went out and bought shoes for $300 and used buy now pay later. Then she went and bought a $400 dress and then she found some, you know, jewelry that she liked. And because the way these companies present their products with this buy now pay later, it, it's like it's free money. It's like, I don't need to pay this back. It's, there's no interest. It's easy. You know, I'm only paying $20 now and my next payment is $100. I can afford that easily. But what happened to her is she lost track of them. And the next thing you know, she had $2,000 in debt and she can't afford the payments. And so now she's defaulting on the payments and it's going to her credit and hurting her credit. So I guess all this to say, a firm is I don't like it. I think it's unethical and I don't like the fact that of what they're trying to do. I'm worried that it's just weeding people down a path that they can't manage and it's going to get them more in trouble. And so even though the market has really hammered them over the last few months, I think it's going to hammer them even more because Klarna, which is the other really big buy now, pay later company, their losses are tripling over the last few years because they're accelerating more and they're trying to get more people into the system. The more people they bring into the system, the more people are defaulting. And it's gotten to the point now where England is considering banning it because it's become so harmful to people and there's no regulation against it right now. And so I'm not a fan of a firm. <laughs> you could probably, probably tell. Really? Couldn't tell. <laughs> yeah. Not a So fan. safe to say like, at least for the story of a firm, there's more to the story than whatever the numbers show, particularly yeah. because it's not a traditional type of business. It's a new innovation in finance, in, you know, quote unquote, new innovation in finance, which you should always be skeptical of. And so maybe one of those situations where knowing about the business model is more important than looking at the numbers. And yeah. that kind of tells you more about how expensive you consider the stock. Yeah, for sure. There's a line in the first Jurassic Park movie long, long, long time ago where Malcolm, the guy that Jeff Goldblum's character plays, he's discussing the ethicalness of creating these dinosaurs. And one of the things he says in the movie is just because we could do it doesn't mean we should. And just because we can offer 
you know, this kind of credit to people doesn't mean we should. And, you know, just looking at the top line and investing in companies, you have to look kind of at the whole story and understand the business model and also look at the other parts of the financials of the company, because it's not just about sales. It's about what kinds of costs is the company running and whether they can be profitable at some point. And you want to see an evolution towards profitability. And I'm going to give you an example really quick. CrowdStrike, which is one of the companies that offers online security, just as a general rule, I'm not an expert in the company at all, but they've been growing very, very fast. But as they've grown, their losses are shrinking which means that they're moving towards profitability and probably in the next year or two, it's going to be a profitable company. So with a firm and with Carvana, they're not moving towards profitability. If anything, they're going the other way. And that's where the market is starting to kind of hammer these companies because they're not moving towards profitability. And that's ultimately what you want to see. It is. I'm not an expert in Carvana at all. I've just pulled up some of their filings because I was curious. So you can look and they owed close to $2 billion on this debt facility that they had to pay in the next 12 months. Otherwise, they were going to go bankrupt. So as of April 28th, they had a filing that said they did borrow enough to pay that off at a 10%, 10 10.25% interest rate. So that can potentially hurt on profitability for a while. And it kind of goes to that idea of those companies that are raising capital, I think you can safely say there's more risk involved with those type of companies and also more reward. So it's kind of like that. You don't get the reward without the higher risks. So it is important to look at things like that. In my opinion, if you're going to be looking at super fast growers like that, take a look at what kind of debts do they owe in the next year, two years? What do they owe in three years? If you don't know how to look that up, which we have posts on our blog about that. If you don't know how to look that up, I probably wouldn't go for those kind of highly speculative companies. Yep, I agree. So, Anil, I hope that we helped answer your question. I hope that I didn't turn you off on investing, but did want you to know, my, I guess, my thoughts on a firm. I'm not a fan of any of those buy now, pay later things, as you can probably tell. I think you just have to be careful in general. You know, we talk about the stock market returns about 10% a year. And so when you're talking about companies that are growing like five times that, like 55%, 60%, like Affirm and Carvana, you have to be really, really careful about that because of all of the things that we said. So if if that was all really overwhelming, it's because there's a lot of nuance to these kind of high growers. So you can avoid a lot of that risk by sticking to some of the more boring, safe, established companies and sometimes, you know, depending on the company, you don't have to know nearly as much in order to do well with it. Yep. Yep. I totally agree. That's well said. All right, folks. Well, with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our conversation for this evening. I wanted to thank everybody for taking the time to send us those great questions. Those were a lot of fun to talk about. And I hope you guys got some good information from all of that. And if you have any questions about anything that we talked about today, Andrew mentioned it and I'll re-mention it again. We do have a website, einvestingforbeginners.com. We have this awesome search bar at the top of the page that follows you wherever you go on the website to answer any questions that you might have about price to sales 
bills or income statements, balance sheets, debt, all those kinds of things. There's lots of great resources there to help you learn more about what we're talking about. And the more you learn, the more of the compounds will help you learn more. So it's a great resource for you. So I hope you guys can use it. All right. Without any further ado, I'll go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety. This is on the safety. Have a great week. We'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.